I'm Janae Pierre, sitting in for Melissa Harris-Perry. It's good to be with you. It's an act that's familiar to countless older siblings around the nation. Pick up your younger siblings from after school, the bus stop, maybe even another friend's house, and then walk them home. It's an act that took a decidedly dangerous and near-deadly turn for 16-year-old Ralph Yarl of Kansas City, a, quote, gentle soul, clarinet player, and member of his high school marching band. His aunt, Faith Spoonmore, spoke to CBS about Ralph. Ralph is shy, he's quiet, he's witty, he has a good sense of humor. He's our Ralph, you know? He's a sweet kid, and he's a harmless kid. That's the part, is that he would not harm a fly. Like, he's 16 years old. Ralph, y'all, the child who would not harm a fly accidentally rang the wrong doorbell while trying to pick up his brothers. He was shot twice, once in the head, by a white homeowner last Thursday. Ralph has since been released from the hospital and is recovering at home. But his aunt, Faith, worries about the long-term psychological ramifications of his assault. The white man who shot him will now face two felonies, assault in the first degree and armed criminal action. Young black boys, children, are often viewed as far older and threatening than reality would attest. This can have far-reaching consequences on their lives and their mental health. My name is Michael A. Lindsay. I am Dean and Paulette Goddard Professor of Social Work at New York University's Silver School of Social Work. So when we talk about the adultification of Black children, what do we mean? What is that? Children are seen as being older than they are. And it as, as such tends to happen a lot among Black and brown youth. And some theories suggest, Janae, that the origins of this uh, are rooted in slavery when young children were forced to work alongside adults and childlike behaviors were punished. And so we simply mean then that youth are seen as being much older than they are. And there are studies that even confirm this. So a study by Philip Goff and colleagues revealed that beginning as early as age 10 for Black boys, they are more likely to be uh, perceived as older, viewed as suspected of crimes, face police violence if accused of a crime, And indeed, for girls, it's not just for boys, for girls. Um, A study from the Georgetown Law Center on Poverty presented data that adults view Black girls as less innocent and more adult-like than their white peers, particularly during the age range of 5 to 14 years old. I have a 10-year-old brother, and, you know, my dad has begun talking to him about you know, the society we live in. I'm wondering, how has society trained the world, specifically white people, to view young Black children? As early as pre-K, and there are some studies that suggest that it happens as early as pre-K, Black and brown kids are perceived as being um, dangerous, defiant, oppositional. We have framed this Um, in terms of 
thought and and research as implicit bias, right? Um, and it, it it can happen that early to the extent that uh, we perceive again that uh, black and brown kids are dangerous. We treat how they behave differently, and so whereas white kids might be accorded uh, mental health treatment and support, we often see for black and brown kids that they are suspended or expelled from school uh, disproportionately because of that perception. And again, um, as early as pre-K. Mm -hmm. What does this adultification mean for the lives of everyday black boys in the U.S.? It means that they have to walk through life differently. It means that they are likely to be more anxious. They might also exude a sense of hopelessness, um, which is related to depression. Or if they have tragic situations as what happened such as what happened with uh, Ralph Yarl. There's trauma associated with it, right? Yeah. Um, there's even vicarious or secondary trauma. So many kids will hear about young Ralph Yarl and fear that their lives might succumb to a similar tragedy. And that's really unfortunate. And talk a bit about that trauma and what the future may unfortunately look like for Ralph Yarl and how he sort of gets past this moment. It's going to require a lot of mental health support, uh, therapy for for Ralph, for, for his family, for many kids who experience circumstances just like Ralph, right? And so... Uh, obviously, I'm a strong proponent of mental health treatment and support. Oftentimes, it's going to be important that that support be school-based so that there's proximity to being able to access those services. Mm -hmm. But prolonged, continued treatment to address the PTSD symptoms, I imagine that Ralph will continue to replay that moment in his life uh, for for years. Why doesn't society view Black kids as worthy of protection? Well, I think that we can do certainly a better job of eliminating things like automatic suspensions and expulsions in schools without doing further due diligence on the underlying reasons. You know, there's research that suggests that, for example, kids who exhibit behavioral challenges in schools, Black kids may do so because they are fully insecure or housing insecure. And oftentimes we don't do further due diligence to understand what the precipitating circumstances are. And so for every kid that, uh, Black kid or Brown kid that might exhibit or show anger or oppositionality, uh, volatility in any sort uh, we should try to understand what underlies that in their life in terms of their circumstances, family situation, et cetera, and try to address those underlying reasons. Earlier, you talked about how Black kids have to walk through life differently. I'm wondering 
How does all of this tie into the false societal connection between blackness and criminality? I mean, it certainly ties into it because, you know, one might fear that they're going to have a negative encounter with law enforcement. The very uh, entity in our lives that should be there to protect us are, are viewed with trepidation or concern that there might be a negative encounter. And I mean, I think that happens in so many different ways, Janae, uh, whether you're fearful of, as a Black person, going to the mall and shopping and being followed or, you know, being pulled over. Um, there's this constant fear of threat to your well-being. And it plays on the psychological and emotional well-being of a group of folks, Black and Brown in particular, who are likely to be subjected to those moments. And so there's a lot of concern and fear that is a part of one's daily life if you are Black and Brown in America. And so I believe in the importance of doing implicit bias training with uh, law enforcement and schools and wherever there are the opportunities to help those who are going to encounter black and brown um, kids to have a different outcome, right? Um, and so I think implicit bias training is incredibly important but it does mean that one would fear and have concern that those interactions are going to go awry. Okay, y'all, quick break here. More right after this on The Takeaway. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. It's The Takeaway. I'm Janae Pierre, in for Melissa Harris-Perry. Michael A. Lindsay, the dean of NYU's Silver School of Social Work, is here as we continue our conversation on the adultification of young black boys in the wake of the shooting of 16-year-old Ralph Yarl in Kansas City this week. We've been talking about the trauma of all of this. It's just been coming up over and over, as expected. But how does this type of adultification of young black boys impact their mental health? Well, I think that it, first of all, leads to this sort of healthy dose of suspicion, which can activate you in terms of being more cautious about how you interact with law enforcement, but it also can be a burden, a perpetual burden that one fears or contains as a result of that experience. And so that engenders uh, a sense of anxiety and again, the hopelessness, uh, which is symptomatic of depression, that why the questions emerge, like, why do I have to go through this? Um, why is it that 
I, I feel like I have a target on my back, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, 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 and then again, if you've had those experiences or if you know someone uh, that's close to you or that lives in your community that, that's had that kind of interaction with law enforcement, uh, it likely engenders a sense of uh, distress and, 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 and fear. Um, but trauma, you know, trauma type symptoms, um, whether you're hyper aroused or whether you have difficulty concentrating or staying focused, um, you know, all those kinds of mental health challenges are associated with this sense of being black, Yeah, what it means to be black in America. For those of us who love black children, who are indeed um, a part of, of their village, what can we do to help protect their mental health and to prepare them uh, for the racism that they will sadly encounter in this world? It's important as much as possible to help our young kids be kids, right? And I think even the languaging that we often use. Um, so for example, it might be oh, he's the man of the house, or that's my little man. You know, we might see those terms or use those terms as uh, terms of endearment, but at the same time, we might be facilitating or ushering in this perspective Mm -hmm. that kids have that they are older than they are or that they are, you know, saddled with so much responsibility that adultifies them, if you will. Lastly, I wonder, in your opinion, what would a world that loved Black children look like? That is a powerful, powerful question. I think that it would embrace Black children in all forms, no matter how they identify, no matter how big or small they might be in stature, size, that they would be loved, not followed or harassed. They would be asked how they're feeling, and that would be appreciated and loved. And they would be able to uh, make a mistake. You know, Ralph Yarl made a mistake. He went to the wrong house. And it should not have ended with him almost losing his life, right? And so there is a world then that doesn't penalize or punish minor mistakes. That's a world that I would envision that is loving and embraces Black youth in all forms. That was Michael A. Lindsay, the dean of NYU's Silver School of Social Work. 